books with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Well, guys, uh, there, there, were, there were actually some comic books this week. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, well, you know, you know? Marvel Comics starts distributing to stores next week. Um, but DC, you know, has been distributing for these last few weeks. And this is really the first week with new DC release. Well, I guess last week we had Justice League. But it, it, it's starting to pick up, right? Like Diamond's right. shipments are getting out. Um, you know, I read an article this morning on Bleeding Cool. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at it yet. Uh, you know, when the, when this first happened, when DC started looking at alternative distribution, all these comic shops were like, ah, screw DC Comics, I'm a Diamond fan for life, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, the Diamond boxes are starting to come out. Uh, comics are bent um, because they're not shipping them as carefully as the uh, Lunar Distribution Delivery, which is a little bit more expensive. Um, but, they, the, you know, the, the comic shops are saying that or some comic shops, I shouldn't say all, but some comic shops are saying that um, DC's alternative distribution methods over these last few weeks have helped bring people back to comic stores and even people who are normally Marvel fans, just because there's no new Marvel content, will pick up the new issue of Harley Quinn or something like that, and as a result, like it, and it's helping the back issue sales as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not surprising, right? Mm -hmm. If if there is a a gap, a void of content, the guy who is filling that void with quality material is going to win. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to see that that was DC because I think DC produces a fine product. Uh, I hope that translates into continued uh, customers. For them, at when Marvel comes back in, you know, because Marvel tends to dominate the field by just publishing tons and tons of stuff. You know, publishing a lot more than DC does. So uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, DC will get to retain that uh, that edge that they picked up over the over the uh, coronavirus. Well, what I think, um, what I'm, and here's the thing: I'm 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 more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. We know this, but I like both, right? So it's not like yeah. I care if I don't want one to it, fail at the expense of the other. Um, but I do think that one thing that I'm seeing coming out of this that I, I like about DC is embracing the digital market more with quality content, not just crap. Right, yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about some of that a little bit later. And, uh, you know, just looking at alternative methods of getting material out to your customers, whether it's the digital market, whether it's alternative distribution and not the monopoly. Um, I, I like that they've become emboldened a little bit by this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, you know, whereas some other publishers like IDW are really struggling. Um, you know, we see DC and I don't know how their sales are, you know, right now, but uh, we see them doing things that seem to be successful for them. Yeah. Well, we know that we've heard a lot of rumors prior to coronavirus that AT&T, who's the new owner of, of Warner and DC, you know, has been talking about, you know, there's rumors out there, I won't say they've been talking about, but there's rumors out there that they're thinking about dumping the comics business. And I, I would like to see DC do a more robust business. Uh, I'd like to see more people in comics in general, but I'd like to see DC in particular doing a more robust business than, than, than they have. Uh, because, to your point, I really like DC. I like the stories they tell, I like the characters they have. See, I go back and forth between Marvel and DC at different points, and before all of this hit, there really wasn't much I was enjoying from DC. And I hate that because I like the DC characters quite a bit. What some of the things that have kind of come out around this, the whole 
their whole 5G inspiration thing seems to be completely dead at this point, and that yeah. looked like horrible ideas. So I'm glad to see that. And I'm really hoping that some of the changes that have happened, you know, will make for better books. And I agree. I'm I love all of the, you know, just trying new things. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I, you know, the, the, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say, or necessity is a mother. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, 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 tr- I think that DC performed up during this. And, you know, I, I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, I like to, yeah. I, I want to see some more creativity in terms of how they meet the business need. Yeah, the only thing Marvel did was release one Star Wars book, and I think that had less to do with Marvel and more to do with Star Wars Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, coming out of this, DC is launching, you know, Marvel has Empire coming, um, but because they haven't been pr- producing books this whole time, there's not a lot of hype around it yet. Um, but DC, you know, has been able to continuously hype Death Metal, which will be out in a few short weeks, in, you know, mid-June. Um, so I think, you know, they're, they're definitely going to come out of this, uh, hopefully with some, some new fans and, uh, some interesting content. Well, Paul alluded to it just a few moments ago, but, uh, we saw this week that IDW has not just furloughed, uh, staff, but has actually laid, uh, folks off some longtime associates mm-hmm. within their organization and rather, you know, high level positions. Uh, and that's deeply concerning. Um, you know, one, one can't, can, can can just imagine that they're, you know, when you, when you, I, I want to say it was one of their marketing directors, you know, one of their lead marketing directors was, was in there as well as, you know, line editors, that kind of thing. When you're laying off that level staff, that means that you're, you're going pretty close to the bone, you know, you're yeah. operating pretty lean. Um, I, I'm worried that they might not hang around. And, you know, there is at least one set of books over there that I really enjoy at IDW. They do a terrific take on the Star Trek books. And I would really hate to see those go away. So, you know, I'm pulling for you, IDW. And if you'd go ahead and have a sale over on Comixology, there are a couple of Star Trek books I need to pick up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, with IDW, it's interesting their timing for this, too. Mm-hmm. They uh, they do these, you know, complete let, let goes right before comics start coming out again. Well, and apparently they had gotten in on the paycheck paycheck protection program hmm. uh and you know you're not supposed to lay your folks off until uh sometime in june i think on that pay- paycheck protection program so if if i read it right they're going to be f- whole dollar responsible on paying that loan back whereas if you had retained your associates through a certain period of time it's free money interesting i wonder yes. you know why they didn't just wait i mean i guess they here's the thing i think idw and we s- Unlike other um, comic companies where it's a lot more public when they have issues, mm-hmm. IDW, you know, it, you I guess from being around in the comics world for so long, it did kind of seem like something was up there, right? You see yeah. constant relaunches of G.I. Joe, constant relaunches of every one of their properties. And, you know, that's symptomatic of even though we have all this licensed property it's still not selling so we have to just keep relaunching with number ones so the the thing that i found interesting about idw and i I don't read many titles over at idw but i certainly read all the star trek books and like for star trek year five they've got but during this period of time they've preloaded 
all the next six months worth of Star Trek Year Five books into the pre-orders on Comixology, yeah. so you can see the next six months worth of covers. Hmm. Uh, and you know, normally it's two or three. Yeah. So I, I find that really interesting that they've used this time to just boom, bang them out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, they haven't announced, you know, they've announced trimming, but they haven't announced that uh-huh. they're, they're shutting down their doors. Hopefully they're able to hold out, especially with distribution picking back up. Um, right. I don't collect, I don't read a lot of IDW uh, currently, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I, I've tried. I, I certainly, <laughs> the, the thing is with licensed property books, I want to like them, but it just feels like there's such a, a, touch, a tough, you know, nut to crack. Uh, whether mm-hmm. it's Transformers or G.I. Joe or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, I love all those properties, but I just can't get into any of those books. Yeah, I yeah. Do, I am reading the Transformers comics, and some of them I've really enjoyed. Not every series, because some of their series aren't very good, but, mm-hmm. like, the current one I'm a regular reader of, and, you know, I've been missing it while it's been out. I am not a Transformers fan, but the Transformers Star Trek uh, animated series crossover is wonderful. Okay, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, same with the Transformers Ghostbusters crossover. Yeah. That was really good. Well, you know, speaking of digital content, we had a couple of big announcements this week in the, the digital content world, um, comic-related. Uh, it was finally confirmed this week but that HBO Max um, will be releasing the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League in 2021 uh you know on their streaming service hbo max it is unknown if it will take the form of some type of four-hour movie or if it will be some part some six-part miniseries i would imagine it will be the latter in order to force people to come back for six weeks Uh uh-huh um but uh you know they're going they warner brothers reached out to Zack snyder uh apparently earlier this year uh you know when they had that whole big day about tweet release the Snyder cut because it's gonna it's important to, if you tweet it this day. Um, they reached you know that was the same day that Zack Snyder screened the four hour his four hour cut uh, you know the original work print uh, of his Justice League movie for Warner Brothers executives DC executives Jim Lee was in attendance folks like that and apparently they were so uh, pleased with what they saw um, they are giving him twenty to thirty million. Um, I don't know if that includes advertising fees, but they're giving him 20 to 30 million to do additional special effects, color corrections, um, you know, uh, bring the actors in for some audio work and, and truly polish up and finish up his original, you know, his original intent for the Justice League movie. You know, it's crazy to me that we live in a world where fan demand gets you these kinds of projects because, you know, back in back in the day. Producers like, ah, fuck those guys. We're not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, it makes sense if the fans are willing to pay for it. Yeah, give it to them. I mean, and I'm I've been outspoken on the aspect of I don't want to see that because I think it was a horrible movie to begin with, and I blame Snyder for everything that was bad about it. But I'm happy for you, Paul, because I know how long you've wanted to have this out there. I'm psyched and, for it. You know, here's the thing. Uh, and I, as soon as they made the announcement, it's just been this constant, like, barrage of different emotions. Like, oh, my God, I can't wait. Versus what if it's a piece of shit after all this time? Um, <laughs> you know, and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of and you see. And honestly, it's not just me. If you look at all the articles about it, everyone was psyched about it first day. And then you see. I saw a lot of articles in the second half of the week about what if this sets a, de- a dangerous precedent about giving into internet trolls? And I'm like, well, hold on. First of all, 
I wouldn't really call the release the Snyder Cut movement internet trolling. It's not the people who are like, oh, my Star Wars needs to be all white people. It's literally people wanting the original director's cut of a movie, like the Richard Donner cut. Or, you know, we've certainly seen director's cuts of movies released years after the original because someone found out there was a director's cut. Fan, you know, fan swell um, comes in and they renew it, whether it's the continuation of Firefly as a movie, the Richard Donner cut, you know, picking up Lucifer on Netflix. So I wouldn't necessarily call this an internet troll thing. I'd call this like the fans have been very vocal about wanting something and, uh, you know, Warner Brothers is, is appeasing them. Yeah, I agree with you there, Paul. I think the Snyder Cut people have been very obnoxious and annoying, <laughs> but I would not call them trolls at all. No, no one's saying, say, like, oh, oh Wonder Woman, bleh, bleh, you know. I would say a lot of us that got annoyed by the Snyder Cut people became trolls. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, your, your, your uh, you know, second day feelings on the matter, Paul, just sort of remind me of the old adage, you know, what happens when the dog catches the car? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, what do you do with now, it? Now, what do you do with I, it? I, you know, the one thing I, I wonder about, you know, Joss Whedon, quote, came in as a, at, you know, as a favor to finish up Justice League when um, Zack Snyder had to leave for you know uh, family issues. Mm-hmm. How does this make him feel? I, I really do. I, I'm curious as to you know, is, everyone kind of shits on Joss Whedon's movie. You know, we don't want to see that Joss Whedon piece of crap. You know, we want to see you know what 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 the creator envisioned. Um, I kind of curious as to what Joss Whedon thinks of all that. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to remain quiet on it for now. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, um, so this will of course make me pick up HBO max. Uh, it, it, well, but, but you don't have to do it this week cause it's coming out in 2021. Yeah, it's coming out in 2021. Whereas right? I think everyone, I think everyone thought that, you know, what's going to happen is, is you're going to turn on your TV on May 27th, HBO max comes up and boom, there's a Snyder cut of, of, uh, you know, justice league, yeah. but that, you know, you're going to have to wait a year. Well, I think this educa- you know, I think this does give us education that no matter what anyone said, that shit wasn't finished. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it exactly. was it was a work print. He had a work print um, you know, and uh it was 4 hours. He trimmed it down to 2 hours and 20 minutes, and that's when, you know, things happened and he was he had to leave the project. So, I think we're going to get more of the, the longer version, but I will say it will make me sign up for HBO Max. They they are running a deal this week. The the deal that you got, you prepay for a year and you get essentially um, three dollars off a month, right? right. Uh, so it ends up being twelve dollars a month instead of fifteen. And I'm hesitant to pick it up. Uh, you know, even though it's it's essentially what I have plus because I have HBO Go, I think, or HBO Now. I don't know. I have the whatever one. HBO one, Now. HBO Now. HBO Now. HBO. Yeah. Yeah, I have the one that goes through Amazon Prime. Um, and I was looking, and they have not yet finalized a deal uh, for you know for Amazon uh, with HBO, HBO Max, um, and I'm sure all of that's in negotiations, and it'll happen eventually. But I'm, you know, I, I like it being available in Prime versus having to download a separate app oh, because it's a whole lot easier in Prime. It is well, and you know, full disclosure, I share my Prime, right? Uh, I share my Prime with my parents, and I can't imagine like. Hey parents, you have to download another app in order to read the to right. see the HBO content that you're currently enjoying on my Prime. I know that I'm, I'm revealing something that I shouldn't, but uh, you know, we all share. Actually, we all share something. Actually, actually, I don't think Prime cares. 
I don't, you're allowed to share Prime, I think, with up to one yeah. other person or something, you know. Yeah, I, I think I, I I saw an interview with Jeff Bezos, and he's like, you know, that's you know, that's not a problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know that, you, that that families are sharing across families, that kind of thing. But you know, I I absolutely agree with you. And when HBO uh, Max flips over to a, to a prime channel option i'm going to transfer mine over there uh, i'll have to pay more you won't get that discount but yeah. you know for the moment uh i'm getting i'm getting that 12 dollars a month thing the thing that i'll point out is they released the the movie list no, that are going to be be their day one it's over 600 films and there's so much japanese cinema there including uh, the entire Lone Wolf and Cubs uh, series. Not uh, only that, the big one for Jap- for Japan, the entire Ghibli. F- yeah, yeah, I mean, there there are tons of, of films out there. I I was going through the uh, through the film list this week. I mean, I'm I'm super excited about what's going to be there. Not yeah, the, including all of the television uh, stuff that's going to be there. Yeah, see, I don't have any interest in HBO, but when they when they got the entire catalog for Studio Ghibli, that did make me think about it. But I've got too many streaming services. I need to start picking and choosing which services I do. Yeah. Cancel some for a few months and wait till the new content comes out. Because let's face it, right now, Disney Plus isn't putting out anything new that I'm really worried about. I really like right. the making of the Mandalorian show, but I know it's it's essentially bonus feature, you know? The best parts of it you can find on YouTube. Fair. <laughs> well... I, currently, I'm a premium cable customer, and all of that goes away later this month. Wow. So I'm I'm very excited uh, about you know I'm I'm going to get to trade about you know sixty dollars worth of cable for anywhere between twelve and fifteen dollars worth of HBO Max. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Well, Paul, I hope they make the deal for you so you don't have to have your parents try to talk <laughs> them through a new app because I know Mama and Papa Ponte they need their shows with lots of nudity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, they need, they and, need their new t- season of Westworld. I, the only thing that was keeping me holding on to Showtime, Paul, was the uh, new season of Penny Dreadful. Oof. And uh, and wow, I watched the first episode of that this week, and it was terrible. I have uh, not seen a single positive word about it. There's nothing. Po- the only thing I can say is it's got a great cast. And I was really excited when I found out that Nathan Lane's going to be in it, or is in it, Uh and while I find him obnoxious as a comic actor, I really enjoy him in dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. And you know they've got you know there's tons of great people in this thing. Uh, uh, the guy who played uh, Kingpin, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's in it. Uh, there, there, I mean, there's tons of great people in this thing, uh, and I, there is. There is not a single thing to like other than, boy, I sure do like that actor. What's he doing here? Yeah. Uh, because the, the writing is terrible. The directing is terrible. The shooting is terrible. Mm. They've got all of this great costume work, you know, because it's a period piece. Yeah. Uh, and it's set in 1938. But the the way it's shot, it looks like a, a one of those Hallmark movies. Mm. You know, everything is – there's just no – filters used there's no you know artistic lighting it just looks like someone just took their you know high definition camera and just set up it's just it's a terrible show well you know it left a bad taste in my mouth where they said it was a spiritual successor not necessarily connected to the original series 
Um, because while the writer and, and, you know, producer is the same, I feel like that show wasn't established as an anthology series. Um, yeah. you know, we got three seasons of a story. They decided to end it and, and now, they ended it prematurely. They ended it prematurely. And now they yeah. want to take advantage of their name recognition. And unless this new season somehow does connect to the prior seasons, which I, I, it's possible that they're saving it for uh, something late in the season, just not something, um, you know, that not something that I, uh, I, I'm interested in. You know, I, I, there's enough television out there uh, to, to watch, including two Friends of Funny Books this week, Aaron, um, had trailers released for their upcoming movies. Uh, Rick Remender and The Last Days of American Crime and Greg Rucka and The Old Guard both have movies coming out this, uh, this year on Netflix. Yeah, that, uh, that Old Guard trailer looked pretty fantastic. I remember <laughs> the last when the last days of American Crime came out. We interviewed Rick Remender, and when I mean me, we I don't mean me and Aaron. I mean me and Jonathan Landreth. And you know the the, the concept of last days of American Crime is that if you think of something illegal, you get like a shock, like you you know your brain can't process something illegal. And I remember Jonathan asking a lot of questions about anal sex. Um, <laughs> like, what if it's illegal in your state? <laughs> um, I don't, and you know, Rick Remender took it like a champ because he's, you know, he's got a bit of a dirty mind as well. But um, you know, so they they released the trailer for that, and of course, I know you're psyched for the old guard, Aaron. I am. I'm really excited about that. It looks really good. It looks like the comic, and I always, I always like when those things kind of, you know, blur the lines or cross each other. So I'm excited. So I didn't see the trailer for Old Guard, so I'm curious what it's about. But I did see that trailer for Last Days of American Crime, and the concept sounds really interesting to me from a sci-fi standpoint. Yeah, I mean, it's. I only read the. Well, no, I was it. I'm trying to remember the name of the publisher. Unfortunately, it was one of those publishers that had a lot of famous people at the start and didn't last. Uh, maybe Radical Comics or something like that. I, I, I wish I could remember. Um, but, uh, you know, it, the, the publisher didn't last. But I do I do remember enjoying the first issue uh, when it came out. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. I, you know, the, the fact that we're getting these comic book movies um, that are doing bang up business because uh, you know a lot of not a lot of people realize that that chris hemsworth extraction movie is based on a comic book as well um mm -hmm. you know and it's just it, it's like the number one watched movie on netflix ever or something like that uh yeah. so you know we're, we're we're getting some good content based on comic books and I'm, I'm excited about it yeah it's really interesting how some of these super popular properties people don't realize were comics first yeah well, you know, on the flip side of that, we have some some negative news uh, in that this week, Ruby Rose, the lead actress on Batwoman, um, was apparently uh, unhappy with the amount of hours and demand um, of her for the series. She wasn't really anticipating yep. that much demand. And so it was a mutual decision for her to part ways with Batwoman for season two. I love that the articles about that, reading through the reading between the lines on the mutual decision decision she hated filming there and basically their mutual decision is she wasn't happy and it made her a bitch to work with well let's not diminish the fact that she was also injured this season and uh, apparently apparently goofed up her spine quite a bit so uh all of the late hours on the show were you know contributing to discomfort for her um so i mean i i think that's a factor as well. All I got to say is 
you know, I didn't know who Ruby Rose was before Batwoman. And I think it's kind of a big damn deal for for any uh, person as young as she is to be leading your own uh, primetime show uh, and to have garnered the success that it did this season, even though I stopped watching it about four episodes in. Um, I think it's a, it, it has got to say how how unhappy, uncomfortable, what have you she was that she's giving up this opportunity. Yeah. Uh, because I guarantee you, other television series and even film projects aren't going to be willing to take a chance on her in a lead role for a, for a long time. I mean, yeah. you know, people go, oh, yeah, she's the one who walked away from a renewed television series. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's, and really she was surpri- the lead role. it's really surprising to me that they're continuing the show and recasting her because I can't remember the last time. You know, it used to happen more often, but the last time that the star character got recast on one of these shows. Background characters, yeah, but not the main character. I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that all of the other uh, CW superhero shows are are aging out, you know, uh, and that they had really built a lot of their next generation hopes on this and the new uh, Superman and Lois show coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, this, that's where the crossover is going to happen this coming season is between Batwoman and the Superman Lois show. So I, I think that, you know, CW is in a position like, well, we're only one season in, you know, <laughs> and the next thing, you know, we're going to be seven seasons and we could have six seasons with a different actress. Yeah. I'm really uh, hoping that with the new actress and the new season, they take a little time to redesign the costume too. Cause I, most of the costume looks fine. But the hair just looks really bad, like badly fake. I mean, it is fake hair, but yeah. it looks like badly fake hair. And I think they can improve it and make it look better. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see. Well, I, I, you know, I kind of gave up on the show. I got, I got tired of it this season. Mm-hmm. But I'll give it a shot again with the new actress in season two. Yeah, so. see, I really enjoyed it. And what, what I enjoyed about it though wasn't her. It was uh, their villain. Mm-hmm. Which Alice. is uh, Alice. Yeah, the actress playing her, I think, does an incredible job. And throughout the series, seeing her in flashbacks, seeing her as Beth and as Alice at different points, I think she had some real range. And I just enjoy every moment that character is on the screen. And that's what kept me coming back more so than the main character. You know, one of the things that that was critical um, uh publicly to the show was that you know the character is an lgbtq character and the actress playing her is also lgbtq uh and you know the cw has made the commitment to you know find another uh such actor for this role um (laughs) they are suddenly LGBTQ a- actors have been coming out of the woodwork going, I'll do it. It's a great opportunity, like right? Girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let's talk about another show um, on the CW, premiered on the CW this week, where it took to Wayne's point, I felt like the lead character was the weakest character in the show. Um, Stargirl premiered this week on DC Universe and CW. And I, I, I want to preface this by saying I really, really liked the season premiere of Stargirl. I really, really did. I left the show wanting a Luke Wilson show more than <laughs> I wanted a Stargirl show. 
Um, I left the show wanting a Joel McHale show. Yes, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there in the opening in the opening scene, going, "Is that Joel McHale?" And sure enough, his name pops up in the credits. I'm like, holy shit, that's Joel McHale as Starman. I am a little sad that they chose that costume for the Starman yeah, instead me, of the the more James too. Robinson costume. Exactly. Who's, who's Joel McHale? He used to host he was the talk soup. Yeah, and he was. Oh, in- okay, I've never seen it. He's a he's a he's a a, a great comic actor, mm-hmm. and you know his, his lines of you you've got to find somebody who can take the rod, Pat. Yep. Not you though. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not you. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Not he's you. a he's a comedic actor, and when Community ended, uh, he got like all buff and fit, and I think he was trying to land a superhero role, and hey, it finally happened um, huh. for five minutes. <laughs> I think we're going to see more of him. I think it's so. going to be in flashbacks and things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I found, you know, very interesting is that they they didn't completely follow the original comic story, but this is really close to Stars and Stripes, the first issue or two. You know, they followed a lot of the comic in there, adding some of their own things. I expected a completely different origin. I enjoyed that uh, you know robot stripe shows up. Uh, I, I, I was I, not expecting I, that. I will say, I, I, nor was I. I thought they were going to write that completely out. You know that that was just not going to be a thing. So I was happy uh, to see that. No, I, saw I liked because I knew he was coming. I liked all the background JSA stuff. It felt very uh, you know uh, uh, Minutemen from the Watchmen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that feel to it. Uh, so there's a lot here to like, but to your point, Paul, I found the character of Courtney to be not interesting at all. Well, you know, uh, and and I'm I do hoping that that's first episode character is going to grow to be someone you like. I do think that's right. going to happen, but I was hoping it would happen by the end of the first episode. Because <laughs> um, she's still well, kind of a bitch at the end of the first episode. That was my only issue was at the end of the first episode. I immediately wanted more. I hate watching things week to week at this point. I'm used to series dropping and watching the series. But in the comics, I felt the same way. You know, after the first couple of issues, I was in of the Stars and Stripes comic. Courtney was a real bitch. And it's like I was done with her. But she grows into, you know, a much better character. And I expect that from the show. Unfortunately, on a show, you've got to catch people that haven't read the comics and don't know that. You know, I would have liked to have seen the costume in the first episode, and mm-hmm. we didn't see the costume yet. Yeah. Overall, I lo- I loved it. You know, I'm definitely on board. I just wanted more. And you know, I see a lot of potential in the show. I love that they actually got Stripe in the first episode, because mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't think we'd see him. Some of the changes they made from the comics, I think, were really good changes. So, for example, in the comics, uh, you know, Pat, Stripe had a super secret base built into the house they were just moving into. And it's like, I just don't see that logistically being possible to build a secret, you know, high-tech base in the middle of a house you just purchased. It's going to be there, though, because where the hell is the armor, right? Like, he's going to have a secret base. They're going to probably reveal it in the next episode. No, they've already set it up. It's... All of the armor was at the uh, the garage he bought. Oh, the garage, duh, duh. Yeah, <laughs> he bought a car garage where he's got all of the equipment to put together the suit. That makes a lot more sense than having it behind a secret bookshelf in the, you know, in the basement. Uh, I like that in the comics they gave Courtney a belt first, and it was quite a while before she got the Starman staff. 
I think the staff is so iconic and the staff is a character itself. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed how they did the staff. Yeah, I love that the that the design for the staff is the exact same design from you know the James Robinson Starman book, yeah. uh, you know, which was then gifted over to Courtney after that book ended. Um, I, I I I like that. Uh, I, I my preference for the Starman character in JSA would have been that it not be the James Robinson Starman, but rather the um, uh, that Starman's older brother. I believe who was the, the, the star man prior, who was the, you know, Finhead star yeah. man. That's <laughs> nice. the, that's the costume. Finhead I star man. Yeah. Uh, but you don't hire Joel McHale to put a mask on him. No, you yeah. don't. You absolutely don't. It was so cool seeing some of those JSA characters in live action at the beginning, mm. you know, being slaughtered. Well, and he does a lot. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Pat, you know, wildcat, Dr. Midnight, you know, <laughs> And I, I felt like that wasn't so much as to, you know, give a name for the audience. So, you know, oh, that's that's who those JSA guys are. But is to to peg it for further appearances. Yeah, because so I did you read... would, when oh, sorry, when ahead. Wildcat shows up, you go, oh yeah, we saw Wildcat in the first episode. Oh yeah, we saw Doctor Midnight in the first episode. Mm-hmm. You know, and I did read that. Uh, you know, in the opening credits, I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, Lou Ferrigno Jr. Was in the opening credits, and I'm like, I did. Lou Ferrigno. Well, who was he? He is Wildcat, and so I looked it up. I'm like, where was Lou Ferrigno in it? And they said Wildcat, and it says three episodes. So oh, wow. I'm assuming you know we will certainly like to Wayne's point, maybe see uh, some flashbacks or. Oh no, I'm sorry. Lou Ferrigno Jr. was Our Man. Correct. Oh, okay. He was Our Man, but it does say three episodes. So I'm yeah, I thought that they jumped out at me. So yeah, like I stopped and rewound to make sure that I read it right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it definitely has the the charm um, that you're used to from a Jeff Johns. You know, the nostalgia, the respect of the past, um, you know, the Easter eggs, things like that. And, uh, you know, did Jeff you, Johns... Did, go ahead. Did you, and speaking of Easter eggs, did you see the Flash's helmet? I did. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I noticed his face was blurred. I'm sure that is intentional to avoid any conflict with the Flash series. Right. Um but I, I'm 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 curious to see where you know, like I said, I, I am a big fan of Jeff Johns, who's probably my favorite comic writer of all time. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's gonna do with this season of Stargirl. Well, and they went all out on Solomon Grundy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I've seen Solomon Grundy over on the uh, the CW universe and he wasn't particularly big, but they did a full Hulk level Solomon Grundy. And well, I was so happy to see it. And I did like the special effects on the car. Yeah. The car was a lot of fun. I'm like, oh, I'm going to need that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to need that toy. It, you uh, know, it's funny because there's literally Stripe is the robot Stripe is on the poster for Stargirl. And I just blanked it out of my mind. And I was still surprised at the end of the first episode. Yeah. But yeah. good show. Um, it, it premieres Mondays on DC Universe. And then I think Tuesdays or maybe Sunday and Monday. I don't know. It's a day early on DC Universe. Then goes to CW the next day. I don't know. I saw it on DC Universe. I don't know if it has any additional content. I will say it was 53 three minutes i think on dc universe so i don't you know which is longer than you can typically do in a television format unless they go over um so i don't know if it had bonus content or not i did not see that there was a next week on in the dc app there wasn't yeah yeah but i imagine you got one on the cw uh you know i will say that's one thing that disappointed me um yeah uh, you know which is 
Jeff Johns is known for his, at the end of every, you know, the first issue of every Jeff Johns book, right? You get the, like, the double-page spread of here's everything to come in the next year of this title. I was kind of hoping for something like that at the end of this. Um, like, a, like a this season on Stargirl and show hints of what's to come. Uh, so I was like, ah, I was hoping, like, just because I'm, I'm so used to Jeff Johns writing, I, I know he usually does that at the end of, like, the first issue of something. So. Well, you know, it, it does seem, and maybe I missed it, maybe it's there, but, you know, it seems to me like in the DC app, they would have an interview with Jeff Johns, because this is such a personal creation. We read it, we read his letter in uh, comics previously, talking about how personal Courtney is, mm-hmm. how it's based on his sister who died many years ago. Uh, I, I would think that they would have done some sort, you know, they, they've got that great secret origins uh show on in the dc app where they interview creators i think it would have been nice to have a, a jeff johns you know star girl uh, conversation yeah i agree and now they, they they do show the next episode which is called stripe on the dc universe app but it doesn't have like a preview of it or anything like that yeah yeah that got my hopes up as uh, i saw it there's like oh season two season, or oh episode two and then it has a little lockbox under it that right. it's not available until the date but uh, yeah, you make a good point. Like, I, I would like some additional content, given the fact that I don't know about you guys, and, and we'll stop talking about Stargirl here in a minute. I promise. Um, <laughs> it was very clear to me that this this was intended to premiere about six months ago, um, given the fact that the first like twenty minutes of the episode take place around Christmas. It really felt like this was intended to release around Christmas time, at least for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Yeah. It would, seem, would have seemed more organic to have debuted immediately following the the Crisis crossover on the CW this year. Yeah. You know, particularly because you had that Stargirl cameo, you know, in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I It seems to me like it was a missed opportunity rolling this out in May. Now, we're all content starved right now because yeah. of lockdown. Uh, you know, so so I think it's going to work out just fine for them. But it does seem weird that it got that it was pushed back so far. Yeah. Well, continuing our DC uh, comic or DC discussion this week, DC released two new books, um, two new deceased books. One, deceased Unkillables number three is the conclusion of the three part Unkillable storyline. Came out in comic stores. The other is deceased Hope at World's End which is a digital-only release that was not previously announced. Um, it was a surprise release. They, they literally announced it the day it came out, uh, kind of like when uh, a musician releases a surprise album or a surprise song. Um, you know, And we referred to this earlier about DC embracing the digital market. I think what this may have been is that when the world shut down, uh, you know, there was this opportunity for some of the some of the creative talent to, to work on some of this stuff and it's being released pretty much as soon as it's ready um mm-hmm. you know which is something that we we see in the music market and hadn't seen embraced in other media uh and i think that may be what this is so two deceased books this week what did you guys think i really enjoyed the way uh unkillables wrapped up i did too yeah i uh, i you know i <laughs> The relationship between one of the kids and Cheetah, where she keeps calling her good kitty, and I think I talked about this in the pre- in the previous issue, that just tickles me. 
and you know she she's petting her you know they they escape you know a, a horrible situation on the bus and she pets you know cheetah on the head she goes, good kitty and i mean every time she says it cheetah turns around with this just i will murder you look on her face she's the only one who calls me that <laughs> <laughs> just i love it i love it i i found the writing clever and i and i found that to be the case throughout this in this entire three issue run that uh you know, and I shouldn't be surprised. This is a Tom Taylor book, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, he really thinks about the powers and the abilities of each of these characters and then, and then applies them in a very clever way to the scenario. Uh, you know, we're all familiar with, uh, you know, riding the school bus and how the bus driver can see everything through that mirror at the, uh, you know, over his head. And, you know, everybody forgot that there's there's mirrors on these buses and, you know, zombie mirror master is just helping himself. Yeah, and that is such a terrifying character. It really is. And and applied as as so, you know, absent any any morals or humanity, you know, uh, and, you know, being the monster that he is in this book, it just really ramps up his power set. You know, there's nothing limiting him here. And I, I I I was really taken by this book. I, I it's so strange to say I found uh, uh, Deathstroke charming. You know, I I mean I just I I really enjoyed this book, and, and I, I like how you know cuddly some of the characters get to be, like the Creeper and Solomon Grundy. You know, I I I, I dug this book a, a great deal. Well, and they hit me with a twist surprise I didn't see coming in this one. And looking at the art, I kind of should have because the character had been in there the whole time. Mm-hmm. But Mary Marvel, yeah, I did not see that coming at all. And when you get to that page, I'm just like, oh shit, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah it was a, it was it was a great reveal. And you know, you're sitting there going, you know, they've been calling her Mary this whole time. God damn it, why didn't I pick up on that? Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. What I think is interesting is Ace the Bat Hound pops up at one uh-huh. point in the book and never shows up again. I'm sure he's yeah. fine. I'm sure the artist just doesn't like drawing dogs. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, there was, for a book about basically, D, and I think that was the point, DC's kind of like anti-heroes or despicable right. characters, the fact that it had so much heart in it, um, you know, and, and that they sacrificed themselves, spoilers, to save these kids. You know, essentially at the end of the book, we only have Gordon, uh, Red Hood, and Mary Marvel. Oh, no, we also have Rose Wilson. But basically mm-hmm. only the good guys made it, right? Like, right. The, the villains themselves all pretty much sacrificed themselves. in this, And three of them died in one page um, mm-hmm. to save these kids. And I just thought that was, you know, th- there's something, you know, the redemption arc in this book uh and the fact that it ends on a hopeful note i will say this book you, you know we, we talked about deceased one through six uh the last year and how we i felt like the ending was almost too hopeful given the 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 the, the book this book had also a hopeful ending but i felt like this one was a bit more earned than they were yes. yeah no i would agree I well, and I love the fight between Mary Marvel and Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and how in, she starts off with, you know, a few months ago, this wouldn't have even been a fight. I would have been crushed. But she's got three months of training from Cassandra Kane, ruthless efficiency of Lady Shiva. And, you know, she's had all of this training. So you have the power of Shazam with the training of some of the 
best fighters in the DC universe. Well, and not she's just a the badass. best fighters. She's not trained by Batman. She's trained by killers. Yeah. Exceptional killers. And I think that's all the difference in the world. Uh, and you're right. I mean, it, it, it really ramps up, uh, you know, Mary Marvel's power set. You know, because not only does she have the powers of the Shazam, she's she knows how to throw a punch now, a killing punch. I, I, I it's a great book. I really did enjoy this book. Well, and so we also had Hope at World's End, which you know, the, because it it came out out of nowhere, no real clue what it was. Um, and so what it seems is it at, at least based on the first issue, uh, and I don't know if every issue is going to be different or whatever. Um, but it seems kind of an anthology series set in the deceased world focused on specific characters who may not have had the limelight in in the prior series. Uh, and so this first issue focuses on Jimmy Olsen, also written by Tom Taylor, art by Dustin Nguyen, um, you know, who, who I, I tend to enjoy Dustin Nguyen's art. And so, you know, this is where Jimmy is when shit goes bad. Yeah, yeah, I love that it hurt Perry Olsen so much to compliment him that it turned him, it drove him insane. <laughs> uh, the this book seems to be set in the in I, I think this is where you were going, Paul, in moments that we didn't get to explore in the prior series. Yeah, so it's it doesn't appear that it's going to tell us the story of where the survivors of Earth have resettled. Uh, but it's going to tell these smaller stories. And while I enjoyed this a great a great deal, I think Tom Taylor's got a really strong knack for these what if apocalypse sort of stories. You know, his work on uh, on injustice is fantastic. Uh, I I feel like uh, there is one area in this book that I really objected to, mm-hmm. and it's a minor pick. Uh, Jimmy figures out, oh my god. You know, it's the internet. It's the it's the wireless connectivity that is transmitting the uh, the uh, anti life equation. You know, because while he's sitting there talking to Perry White, Perry White's looking at it on looking at you know the news on the screen, and you know he he immediately converts and Jimmy figures that out. But he's got his digital camera up and running and he's looking at the images on his digital camera and i'd like to point out that digital cameras today are all connected via wi-fi and they communicate back and forth to the cloud Uh jimmy should have been infected as well you know i was wondering about that because i've never i haven't had a digital camera in years Uh uh-huh so i didn't know if they were connected or not but if you look at the pictures like he's developing film i don't Uh think that's I don't think it's a digital camera. But he's got the digital like, screen on but it. But the display's there. That, that right. doesn't make any sense. It is conveniently is- <laughs> not connected to the cloud. <laughs> um, you know, and it one- conveniently shows a display, but he also needs a dark room to develop pictures. Correct. <laughs> well, the one thing this, this book does set up is, I guess, going to be played off. So even though this isn't necessarily... At least this first issue doesn't give me the impression that this is going to be the transition between deceased and deceased dead planet, which I think starts in July. Um, they, they it, or maybe it is. I don't know because this book ends with uh, a tease of the anti-life army, um, and, you know, and it says prelude to the anti-life war is next issue, and so we see uh, Black Adam, we see Black Manta, um, we see a character with wings who I. I don't know who that could be. Um, I was thinking, maybe. Well, could it be Hawkman? Yeah, I just Hawkman. Oh yeah, Hawkman. You're probably right. But he's he's got. I'm looking. Doesn't seem like he's wearing a mask. Well, he, he definitely not, is. You know, because I don't know. 
I guess we'll see, yeah. you know, in, in next issue. But the anti-life army, that that's intriguing to me. You know, I, I'm yeah. going to be, you know, for 99 cents, I feel like I got, it's not quite as uh, much of a value as those DC digital first books, but it, it was I, well written. I want to say something about uh, your beef about uh, developing film. I think that is current day. I think I think that that's not a flashback or what happened prior to because you notice in that last page he's in the dark room and he's developing film and it cuts to him with an eye patch. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that all I think that those are pictures that he took uh, at some point with film. Uh, so you know he took a picture of Diana and the Martian Manhunter probably during this crisis, but certainly before Diana was infected with the anti-life equation. Right, so a different camera than the one he's actually right because he using probably there. dumped his digital camera because he himself realized it's connected via <laughs> Wi-Fi to the cloud. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I didn't get the anti-life equation, but I should probably have the anti-life equation. <laughs> oh, there's the anti-life equation now beeping in. Great, Paul's a zombie now. <laughs> it's not me. It must be Wayne. Um, yep. <laughs> well, speaking of zombies. Uh, another pretty visceral book this week was Plunge, issue three. Um, uh-huh. You know, from Joe Hill, uh, Hill House Comics, issue three finally came out, DC's Black Label. Joe Hill, Stuart Amonin, Dave Stewart continues this, This, uh, you know, we, we talked about the, the the first two issues before, you know, things shut down. Uh, and uh, actually, no, I think we caught up after the shutdown because it was a book we were interested in. And I got to tell you, you know, at, at first when the the zombie-esque or ghost-like characters showed up i'm like uh because i i have this thing against like i love horror movies but unless i'm watching a monster movie i have a thing against showing the monster like broad daylight like like movies like insidious and things like that where they show the monster like full screen just standing there in a hallway i'm like eh, put some subtlety into it and so when they first started that i'm like uh i don't know that i'm gonna i feel like this is where i i may check out but I didn't because the book is so damn good. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the way they're telling the story, you know, these it's almost like a ghost ship, like the it's almost like the fog mixed with the thing, um, you know, mixed with deceased <laughs> almost. Yeah. You know, there, there's so much good in this book. And it's just I'm not used to seeing Stuart Amonin draw gore, but he can yeah. draw some gore. He can draw some scary, can't he? Yeah. I, 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 I absolutely dug this book. It's reminiscent to me of The Thing, John Carpenter's The yeah. Thing, the isolation in this. Um, and I, one of the things I find the most horrifying about this book is that it doesn't matter how strong you are, how, you know, what a, what level of character you have. Uh, the The evil in this book can overwhelm you like that. I mean, yeah. it is it is alarming how the guys came, went into the cave and they came out of the cave fucked up. Yeah. Like my favorite, <laughs> my favorite piece of this book. Well, I had two really big things that stuck with me in this book, as a good horror story should. Um, uh-huh. The guy with the headphones. Oh my god! Yeah, and uh, the, the the end where there's some item, and if you see it, you are willing to kill for it yeah you don't yeah. see what the item is but a couple of the characters do characters you've known grown to know and like over these past two issues and they just start tearing each other to shreds well and the thing about the headphones that is just so fucking creepy is that you know the guy who's got them you know he's got the headphones in and he can hear what you're thinking yeah right 
and you know it's messing him up and so there's this there's this conversation like hey take the headphones out man and you know one of the zombie ghost like characters you know makes a comment like he leaves the headphones in or your hands come off something like that yeah. and i'm like I'm like oh shit yeah. Uh, there is all this conversation uh, about math, and mm-hmm. uh, of course I, that, that ties back to that whole strange geometry of you know the Cthulhu uh, experience. I I I just all the elements are here, Paul. The stars have a line. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like is, how the title page on each issue, like it, so the title page in each issue is like the shipwreck or something. And with each passing issue, it like the picture evolves a little bit more. Like you see yeah. more of the equation. In this issue, you see, um, you know, this demon-like hand popping out of the door. Uh, yeah, I, this book is is genuinely creepy. You want to yeah. read it at night. Yeah, it, it's a great book. I, I I I I'm so glad you you talked me into reading this thing with you, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is such a good book, and fully, and I mean this, Paul fully redeems the spaceman experience of years past yes it only Just took three saying. issues <laughs> to took three three issues in about eight years yeah <laughs> <laughs> well our final book we want to talk about this week is from marvel comics um it's it's actually a catch-up kind of thing because it's on issue four now uh which is star from kelly thompson and javier pina with felipe andrade um i yeah. uh have been interested in this for a while but just never wanted to spend the 399 to pick it up and so it was on sale for the first three issues and with my unlimited discount it's 84 cents yeah I'm like, i bought issue one originally when it came out and just forgot about it uh-huh so when you sent out the message that this is on sale it's, that's exciting to get the the next two issues of it for 84 cents you know, Star uh, is about a woman with, you know, some, some complicated morality. Uh, she somehow or other wound up having the reality stone from the Infinity Stones buried within her. And so she's got these reality-altering powers that she really didn't know how to use. But her, you know, arch nemesis is Captain Marvel. And, you know, it's, so it's the story of, of a, a woman who's maybe a villain, maybe not, more likely a villain, <laughs> trying to figure shit out uh, while also just being terrified of Captain Marvel because, you know, Captain Marvel punched her heart out. Uh, and the reality stone saved her from that. But uh, it, again, she's not good at these things. And so folks are coming looking for the stone like Loki, uh, the Obsidian Order. And Paul, I'm sorry you didn't get on to issue two because... That's where your guys were. Oh, damn. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I, I, the first issue was fine. Like, I enjoyed it, but I was like, eh, I don't know that I'm going to continue with it. So issue. I haven't read anything with the Obsidian Order before. I know who they are, obviously. Mm-hmm. Black Swan really won me over throughout this book. Well, she is really well done. And I know you didn't read those books either, but she was in the Secret Wars books uh, for uh, the the prelude books, I should say. Um, she's she I, she's a Jonathan Hickman creation, right, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Like, she was part of. She, was she, in she started in Infinity. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I thought they Black Swan says something in issue two, I believe, or maybe it was issue. Three, I think it was issue three uh, that 
I thought was really compelling and I thought it was really honest to her character is that she is tired of having the infinity stones in her life. She's tired of being at the uh, service of anybody who owns the infinity stones. And I was like, that's a great motivation for that character to have because you know, ever since we've known black Swan, she's been driven in some way by the infinity stones uh, so I, I thought that was really sort of a great take on that character. I'm getting a, a big kick out of these books. I think I'm in. I think I'm I'm going to pick up issue number four and uh, continue on with the series. Yeah, what's really got me into the series is, like I said, Black Swan and that motivation. Uh-huh. Um, and that continues throughout everything I've read of her in this series. Because I've read, I think, one issue more than you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that motivation just makes her a more interesting character to me. Absolutely. But I love star's reactions to carol uh-huh. that she was killed by miss marvel and so she is scared of her she's got all of this power and has panic attacks when captain marvel shows up right and i think that's a really honest reaction right you know you, you the person who nearly killed you who seems so cavalier about you and has the ability to, you know, to to crush, kill, destroy you. I think you would have that kind of panic attack unless you're, you know, someone who is more of a superhero sort of sort of caliber. Yeah. I, I I find I find the character depictions in this in these books uh, very honest, and I, I really commend that. I mean, because sometimes you the, you don't feel the motivation for some of these characters other than I'm a hero and I'm going to do do right. She just feels she feels like somebody you might know. Yeah, as they keep doing more flashbacks, you get more and more reason for why she is who she is. Yeah. You know, like they show in one of the flashbacks before she got any powers, she was caught in the the crossfire of a big Captain Marvel battle. And I I really like seeing that the she was a normal everyday person. Captain Marvel is this big, you know, big time superhero that gets in these huge battles who tends to kind of, I don't know, fly off in the handle. Yeah. Yeah. And she was the worst possible person to have been caught in the middle of one of those battles because Captain Marvel isn't like a Spider-Man will go out of his way to make sure nobody gets harmed. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel gets focused on the fight. Yeah. And you you can really see that in this story. All right, you assholes. I just bought issues two and three because they're on sale. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. To, I mean, because issue five there, right now has a release date of September 2nd. I think, you know, it was pushed out because of the Rona. But I, I'm sure they'll bump it up now that comics are going back into stores. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you'll dig it, Paul. But hey, Paul. Yes, sir. Coming out next week. Well, obviously, we have new DC Digital First. We have new... Um, a new issue of Deceased, Hope at World's End. And next week, we actually have new Marvel comics. Uh, so no. we, Yes, we have the new issue of Marauders, which is my favorite of the current Hickman Good book. books. Good book. Um, but one of the things that I'm, 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 I'm going to pick up, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to pick it up, and I'm going to regret it, <laughs> is uh, the new issue of Avengers. Uh, so I have not been picking up the Jason Aaron Avengers book. I feel like it's a bit inconsistent. Um, mm-hmm. But next week uh, begins The Age of Khonshu, part one in the Avengers book, written by Jason Aaron, art by Javier Garon, um, which is Moon Knight versus the Avengers. Oh. Uh, and I'm interested in it. it you know, he says, uh, Jason Aaron says he has big plans for Moon Knight. 
uh, in his Avengers run. So uh, I'm gonna pick up. I'm gonna pick up that issue, even though I'm not. I have not been reading the Avengers. Uh, I love Moon Knight, and, I, and I'm interested in seeing how. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in seeing Moon Knight interact with people for once, because uh, usually, you know, Moon Knight books, he's very kind of off on his own thing, being crazy by himself. So I'm curious. I'm gonna give it a shot. All right. Well, all that and more next week right here on Funny Books Theron and Polly. But we want to hear from you. We want to hear what uh, you're reading to get yourself through the lockdown and what you're looking forward to as the lockdown gets unlocked. Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on our social media, IOM Geek, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Well, we'll do it all over again next week, guys. Catch you then. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>